Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is Your Community Spirit coming at you on Your Community Radio. My name is Tree Song, and we have a guest with us here today on the phone. Can you hear us, Or? I'm kind of quiet, but yeah. Okay, I should be a little better now. Yep. All right, and we can hear you pretty good today. It's been an exciting week in environmental news with the Environment Protection Agency and the Obama administration coming out with eliminating pollution. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's funny to me, like, you know, last week we had a big local you know, environmental news week, and now we've got a big national environmental news week. Things are happening with the environment. I mean, they've been talking about the EPA releasing the much-anticipated limits on power plant emissions for a long time. Yeah. And it's most in the past, it's mostly been a lot of talk. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Now they're actually doing at least something. It's kind of actually surprising because... It actually came out. We we didn't know except, like, I don't know, it seemed like about a week and a half ago that they were actually going to finally release the new standards. Yeah. So the EPA released their new standards on Monday, calling for a 30% cut in carbon emissions from power plants by 2030. And that's... 30% cut in carbon emissions from 2099 standards, I think. <laughs> well, 2005. That was the original climate conference, right? 2005, I think, is the year. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 2005 as the baseline, and trying to cut it back, I think, to 1999 levels. Because mm-hmm. that's when we first started doing, like, the climate talks around the world, you know? Yeah. So... Um, the regulations are actually the first of their kind for the fleet of existing power plants, which currently produce 39% of U.S. emissions. The EPA administrator, Gina McCarthy, described the rules in further detail at a press conference last Monday morning. McCarthy emphasized the problems stemming from carbon pollution, which, quote, supercharged risks not just to our health, but to our community, our economy, and our way of life, end quote. Man, they're not holding back, are they? <laughs> no. It's like, for the sake of our family's health and our children's future, we have a moral obligation to act on climate, she said. Mentioning potential benefits in business, innovation, and investment, she continued, quote, the science is clear, the risks are clear, and the high cost of climate inaction keep piling up, end quote. So, yeah, there you go. The, using emissions from 2005 as a baseline, the rules direct states to cut greenhouse gas emissions from power plants 30% by 2030. Um, and, of course, it's... Um, they also expect to cut emissions 25% by 2020. So. Yeah. And, and they're actually saying the rules will actually 
provide the country with 90 billion, that's B, with a B, in climate and health benefits. For example, avoiding hospitalizations due to health concerns and asthma. Yeah. They're not just saying, okay, you have to do it right now. The EPA is actually giving states flexibility on how to meet those standards. So uh, a state can directly um, have power plants cut emissions, either by switching to an alternative fuel source with lower carbon or by making upgrades. They can also meet the standards by increasing the amount of energy drawn from renewable energy sources. And they're not just saying states, they're having states get together in like regions. Mm-hmm. So a state can work with neighboring states to create a goal also. So. Yeah, and one of the things I find a little strange, it doesn't mention it in this article, but they're also doing each, each state's goal is a little different. Like the overall goal is 30%, um, but then Based on how much coal that state is currently using, they give it a different goal. Like, you know, if, if you're only partially dependent on coal, they're like, oh, this isn't as big of a deal for you. You could do more, you know, renewable energy, energy efficiency. It seems a little strange to me, but I can understand politically why they're doing that. Well, I mean, it can be better to not have just like one program, you know, for everybody. Yeah. You know, that... Um, people have, you know, different states have different choices how to meet the standards. Yeah, because really the U.S. is like several different countries all pieced together into one country. I wouldn't necessarily say it's 50 different countries, but, you know, maybe the Northeast is one country and the Northwest another country and the South, like they're all pulled together. So Now, the, th- the thing that popped out at me was the fact that it said the regulations are the first of their kind for existing power plants. Yeah. So, I mean, that means all this time existing power plants have had no regulation? Is that what it's saying? Yeah, I mean, basically for CO2, like, I mean, before they used the whole argument of like, oh, CO2, it's it's natural for plants, <laughs> you know, so they, they've not had these any caps like this on CO2 before. So they could just do as much as they want. And one thing that concerns me about the details, too, is the way that they're implementing this is by a percentage of energy generated. Like, they're not saying you can only generate a certain number of tons of CO2. They're saying, out of the energy you're generating, at least this percentage of it has to be renewables. So it's still possible if we, if we fail at our objectives of energy efficiency, we might just, you know, keep all of the coal like we have and then also do some solar and then call it a day. <laughs> Which is better than, I suppose, building even more coal plants, but it still doesn't eliminate the pollution being caused by those plants. I mean, the the thing is, is this law is not in place, right? I mean, they've just come out with it now, and now there's the 120-day public comment. Yeah. And so this these regulations can be greatly watered down or greatly strengthened based on comments, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, environmentalists say it falls way short and um, the coal lobby and some coal state uh, politicians are already attacking the proposal. So, um, yeah, who is going to win? Who's going to make more comments? Um, 
I mean, for example, groups with large grassroots memberships, such as the Sierra Club, are already planning to ask their members to submit public comments to the EPA. Um, now, they, you know, um, what's interesting about these rules is uh, the environmentalists are getting a really large kick in and help from the public health community. Yeah. Because... You know, pollution causes sickness and the public health community, for example, the American Lung Association, you know, they're constantly sending out communications. There are more than 14 million people who are members of them. They've been active in supporting these rules because of the health benefits of cleaner air, you know. Yeah, so a lot of people are going to be commenting for and against the rules, it sounds like. And the environmental groups that you mentioned are planning on organizing, you know, organized commenting drives where they go out in person and ask people to they tell them about the legislation, they uh, get comments on it. And, yeah, so, green, you know, green groups are... Part, part of what they're trying to do is a lot of the big green groups are trying to strike a balance between... Figuring out exactly uh, what to cur- encourage their members and supporters to say, because I, I can kind of feel that. Because you know, my feelings on it are that I like the fact that they're doing something. You know, that's like it's like you said, it's the first time they've ever actually had a limit on CO2 emissions. But there's still so much more that could be done. Like I didn't include the link in here, but another proposal that is by non-governmental agencies is the Solutions Project. And their goal is to have completely clean energy by 2030. You know, 100% renewable clean energy. So they've got a plan for that that could, uh, maybe it could be encouragement in the comments to the EPA on this issue saying, well, you know, if they have this proposal for 100% clean energy, maybe you could make your standards at least a little bit stricter. Well, I mean, part of it is the EPA's current goal of 30% by 2030 to base it on the 2005 levels, it's actually not that impressive because we've already dropped emissions 13% since 2005. Yeah. That's part of what the cynic in me says is that, you know, maybe they're doing this right now because they know that emissions are already starting to drop. So they're like, oh, we're going to charge in. We're going to reduce emissions while they're already starting to drop. (laughs) I mean, we're already halfway to our 2020 goal of 25%, but, you know, that's 2020 is pretty close, actually, if you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> sneaking up on us really quickly. Now, what's what's very interesting is environmentalists aren't going to have to uh, build up a lot of support for these rules because, um, according to polls, the public support is running two to one in favor of regulating CO2, even if it means higher electricity bills, which... You know, people are willing to um, pay a little higher electric bill in exchange for having better health. Yeah. Well, I, I've been encouraged by some of these poll results because there was a little while there where the anti-global warming propaganda got so so big that there were a majority of Americans who didn't want to take action on climate change. They're like, oh, it's going to cost too much or it's not a big threat. or, But now steadily for... Uh, probably a couple of years now, it's been back in the other direction. People realize it's a serious problem. They're willing to do something about it. 
they're even starting to understand that you might actually get economic benefits from switching your fuel system rather than losses. I mean, sure, there's, I mean, there are people who are going to have difficulty from it, people who work in coal, fossil fuel, you know, any industry related to that. But there's also going to be incredible growth in some industries like clean energy, anything related to energy efficiency, some design too, you know, because it's going to take new designs to implement a lot of this stuff. Well, I mean, it's interesting because what you just said, those industries are the only industries that, as far as I know, are growing in double digits. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, as the price of energy goes up, as the our health worsens, more people are, you know, realizing that they need to figure out ways to be more energy efficient and utilize more clean energy. Yeah. So... One of the effects of, besides our health itself, one of the effects of all this pollution is, of course, what it's doing on the, our environment. Yeah. And more, I don't know if you've ever read the studies from the insurance companies that all the insurance companies are strongly for, um, you know, stopping carbon pollution because of climate change, because they're shelling out so much money for all these climate disasters. Yeah, that's one that actually didn't make it in the news today. Uh, the Chicago got sued and the, by the insurance companies because Chicago land area didn't do enough to prepare. But the suit got, they lost the suit. <laughs> well, they're going to keep trying. Because insurance companies stand to lose large sums of money with all the storm damage and such. But yeah, here's, here's a way to respond to... There is actually an effort to respond proactively and prepare for the coming effects of climate change. New York City is actually building these radical storm-proofing systems. Nearly two years after Hurricane Sandy tore into New York City, the city's still not much more prepared than it was then. So news that the federal government has stole out $540 million to fund a handful of flood-proofing infrastructure projects this week is a welcome surprise. Not to mention that the systems look pretty cool. A few months ago, uh, they had a rebuild design contest. This was a competition that looked for proposals to retrofit the city and the surrounding region for a stormy future. So earlier this week, the Housing and Urban Development Secretary, Sean Donovan, announced the winners of the competition and meted out more than a half a billion dollars to build them. So... It's a pretty cool project. We can't beam you the images over the radio, but here's a few aspects of it. They've actually gotten funding for this, so it's no longer one of these, you know, model pie in the sky ideas. They're actually going to do this. Five hundred forty million is just the money from the feds. Yeah, they've actually uh, awarded a total of nine hundred twenty million. Ended up being awarded this week for a bunch of different projects. Yeah, yeah. If you count all the sources, it's nine hundred twenty. That's that's a lot of money. <laughs> and it sounds like they're going to do a lot of good with it. I mean, one of the things you could probably expect is a, a barrier that they're going to have along the edge of Manhattan, a 16-foot barrier. Uh, they're calling it the Big U because it's, I guess, probably U-shaped. Uh, it's going to have a massive barrier of dikes, berms, and other barriers around Manhattan. That's where the bulk of it is going to, is uh, building the first stretch of this eight-mile-long ring. 
and it will protect the fragile Lower East Side from storm surges with a tall grass escarpment as well. And it's going to have underwater oyster shelf. They're going to have oysters there to help uh, protect the coast, coastline. It's weird how you don't even think about that, but, you know, having more stuff in the ocean along the coast really does help mitigate the storm surges. I mean, it's not going to stop the overall rising of the oceans, but those storm surges that sweep up suddenly, it can slow them down a little bit. And also, this is a big one, protecting New York City's most vital food source. Hunts Point could be the most important place in the city, though you may not realize it. This peninsula in the Bronx is the critical hub that supplies most of the city's food. During Sandy, it was hit particularly hard, drawing attention to the risks involved with it being shut down. So Donovan has awarded a $20 million uh, grant to study the feasibility of the project. And it's not start construction just yet, but the project will protect the market with a series of levees, parks, and other flood mitigating systems. I mean, that's an important consideration to keep in mind is food systems. Because especially when you've got a spot like that that's really centralized, it's good if you could decentralize your food production a little bit. But when you've got a spot like that that is a pretty big spot for a lot of people, you've got to be sure it lasts. And, I mean, one thing that's slightly been emphasized in this article is the fact that this much money was awarded so quickly. They said it's only been 20 months since Sandy struck, so that's a pretty quick turnaround for, you know, the hulking federal and state governments involved in it. So. Yeah, as far as federal governments goes, that's like a few minutes, you know. <laughs> it takes some years to do things. So they're taking yeah. the issue seriously. All right, well, speaking of uh, taking the issue seriously, you want to do this one? France pays people to bike. <laughs> it turns out clean air, energy independence, and a healthy body just aren't enough for most people to bike to work. So according to Reuters, France is going to be trying to pay people to ride. French Transport Minister Frédéric Cuvier, noting that commuting using public transport and cars is already subsidized, says that if results of the test are promising, a second experiment on a larger scale will be done. The ministry hopes that the bike-to-work incentive scheme will boast bike use for commuting by 50% from a 2.4% of all work-home journeys, or about 800 million kilometers, with an average distance of about 3.5 kilometer per journey. Now, in Belgium, where a tax-free bike incentive scheme has been in place for more than five years, about 8% of all commutes are on bicycles. In the flat and bicycle-friendly Netherlands, it's about 25% cycling organizers say so it's pretty interesting france will be joining the growing list of countries with programs to encourage bicycling but of course the french plan is novel the transport ministry is has teamed up with institutes institutions and private companies who've agreed to pay their employees 25 percent excuse me 25 euro cents a kilometer to bike to work so it's not very much, but it's a little incentive, and it adds up, right? Yeah. Sure, and that... consider they're saving all that money on having to 
pay for gas and uh, pay to go to the gym. So yeah. <laughs> they're overall not only saving money, they're making some money, eh? Yeah, it's a good deal. And I like the fact that they pointed out how other forms of transportation get subsidies, you know, cars, trains, planes. So here's something to help out the bikers, or the cyclists, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I wish there was a shower at my work so I could bike to work. Yeah. I was like, I suppose I can do the whole sink shower, just go into the bathroom and clean up at the sink. <laughs> yeah. But, well, maybe some workplaces in France will have that. They'll have a, if you're biking to work, they'll have a shower for you. Yeah. Well, I don't think in France they have quite the humidity heat issue that I have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't imagine so. Not even in the hot weather. <laughs> All right, some holidays coming up. We've got National Donut Day, always the first Friday in June. So, uh, wow, that's exciting. Maybe I should go get some donuts on my way home. <laughs> it's also National Gardening Exercise Day. That's great. You know, you get out in How your do you garden. Pick your garden out for an exercise. <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing you like lifting the leaves of your tomato plants, like one and two. And, no, this is you just exercising out in your garden. Whether that means planting in your garden or, you know, doing some yoga out there. You never know. Or it's National Yo-Yo Day, so you could just go out there. Yeah. Yo-Yo-ing. Yo-Yo-Yo. <laughs> Saturday is National Chocolate Ice Cream Day and National Trails Day. Hmm. Yes, and Sunday is Best Friends Day. It's also Name Your Poison Day. <laughs> Tuesday is Ice Tea Day, and Thursday is Red Rose Day. All right, so we've got some happenings coming up. We've got the Carmenale Community Friday Night Fair. It's going on during May and June this summer, and it's happening tonight from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. over at the Town Square Pavilion. It's a free community event featuring locally grown produce, food courts, variety of handmade products and services, and live music. That's pretty much people getting together at the town square, having some music, some food, some fun. It's a good way to spend the summer. It's tonight from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Saturdays from 9 until noon, the Carbondale Community Farmers Market at the Carbondale Community High School. We need to add another community word in there. <laughs> yeah. We should get all the community together to do community things at the community <laughs> farmer's market. Yeah. I feel like it's more events <laughs> Yeah, more events are adding the word community just to show it's open to everybody, I guess. Did you did you go to that didn't that meeting happen for uh the year round farmers market? Yeah, it did happen. I didn't make it out to it, but I've heard a little bit about it. They talked yeah. about different options for where they could put it and what it would be like. I mean, there already is a year on farmer's market, but they're talking more that wasn't it a representative from the USDA came to talk about creating a year on farmer's market location. Yeah, this would be a dedicated location. They would have, I mean, that's part of what they talked about is the details, but it could have its own building. It could have, you know, mixed uses. You could do other things with it when the farmer's market isn't in session during, you know, certain days or whatever. But yeah, you basically, I've seen it in other, in bigger cities. I've seen, you know, a farmer's market center where I was impressed by it. It's like, oh, the whole purpose of this building is just one big farmer's market. So it wouldn't be as big as, you know, the ones in a major city, but we're a city of enough size that you could have a little center and 
you know, maybe combine different farmers markets that are happening into one spot? So the Carbondale Community Farmers Market providing a space for community to gather, meet the faces of agriculture, and get the taste of all. I don't know why. Meet the faces of agriculture, why they're talking about that. Cause some of those guys are pretty hairy and scraggly. <laughs> you know? But I think they mean meet the personalities of agriculture. Yeah. Because it is fun to interact with the person who grows, you know, your... Um, what do you call it? Grows your mushrooms, grows your greens, grows your um, meat, grows you know the things that you eat. Yeah. Hey, I think I just made a rhyme. <laughs> yeah. So, Saturdays from nine till noon, and that's at the Cardinal Community High School. Yeah, and a lot of people don't think about the fact that life as we know it would not be possible without farmers. You know, we're here doing our other things in the city all day, and they're growing the food so that we can do that. We would. We'd starve here in the cities. (laughs) I mean, we we talk about, you know, thanking this person in public service and that person in public service. Well, three times a day you need to thank a farmer. Yeah. Or in my case, eight times a day. (laughs) Yeah, probably my case, too. All right, uh, here's another event coming up, the 8th Annual Spring Fair Family Event. This is uh, 8th Annual Spring, excuse me, 8th Annual Family Spring Fair sponsored by the Diami Parent-Child Collective. It's a fun-filled event geared towards preschoolers, but has something for everyone of all ages. The event features live music, kid-friendly games and prizes, great food, faint pacing, piñatas, and so much more. It's also a fundraiser. It's an entry fee of $3, and I believe you get some tickets for games along with that entry fee. All the funds raised go towards special projects around the schoolhouse over at the Diami Parent-Child Collective. So that's coming up on Saturday with the rain date of Sunday, so 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. The monthly vigil and justice, um, monthly peace and justice vigil. Now, the Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois is sponsoring a vigil to raise public awareness of the violent nature of hydraulic fracturing otherwise known as fracking, as well as the nonviolent character of developing renewable sources of energy. So the vigil takes place at the corner of Illinois and Main Streets, that's the downtown pavilion, Saturday, June 7th from noon to 1. All concerned about fracking in southern Illinois are encouraged to participate. Signs if you wish. Again, noon to 1, Carbondale Town Square. Yeah, and they're starting, we've been mentioning these happenings for the vigil for years now. They're, they're planned for the future is to have a monthly vigil now instead of a weekly one. And then have... Well, e- they did it up till now, what, since 2001? Yeah, 2001. Every week? <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty I mean, good run. They're, they're trying to mix things up a little bit to uh, keep it lively and uh, having it once a month and having a special theme. But they're open to ideas about how to do the vigils. So right after this week's vigil, they're having a meeting over at Cristados to uh, dis- discuss issues and plans for future vigils. But that's their plan right now is to do it once a month and do a different theme. And I, I like this theme of fracking because people often think of it as sort of weighing the economic issue. Like, is it worth the economics of this? But really, if you come into someone's community and you 
poison their water and you pollute their air and you might even cause earthquakes. That right there seems like an act of violence to me. And there are all of these other ways we can get energy that are nonviolent. So I like the fact that the Peace Coalition is talking about that. Can we not announce the next one? Um, because I would like to win the raffle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I put, like, the, I put the details in here because you've mentioned it before, but we got, <laughs> we got to get the details out to our listeners. In case. Okay. <laughs> the Illinois Solar Energy Association is doing a fundraising raffle for a Tesla Model S. Um, the raffle will support the Illinois Solar Energy Association to advance renewable energy development. Only 2,000 tickets will be sold. The drawing is in October. Um, for more information, it's illinoisolar.org slash Tesla2014. Now, uh, the Tesla Model S is the world's first premium electric sedan. I mean, it's 100% electric, so no tailpipe, you know, at all. I mean... Yeah. I mean, you completely, if an owner would completely liberate themselves from having to think about the fact that they're bur burning, you know, pollution. Yeah, and one of the things I like about them is that, I mean, the, the main reason I would be interested in one is the whole reduction of pollution, but there's also a simplicity to it too, that I'm not, I don't really know much about how the internal combustion engine works. <laughs> I know little explosions go on in there, but there are all these complicated parts that break down and, there's such more simple devices, uh, electric vehicles. There's something like, you know, 10 times or 20 times less parts in them. It's pretty amazing. That's true. Yep. And then, I mean, the car actually gets more efficient as time goes on because um, the power plants get more efficient that provide the energy. Yeah. So. Pretty good deal. So yeah, it's IllinoisSolar.org slash Tesla2014. You can learn more. And about I did get a ticket, so I, I have no problem with people not buying tickets. Yeah. <laughs> if Although you I do like the Illinois Solar Energy Association. Yeah, it's They're up doing to you. A lot of good stuff. So. If you want to yeah, let Or just win a, the vehicle, it's, <laughs> but it's like a. Personally, I. Also, personally, I want you to support the organization. So. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're a good group. All right. All right. Well, we got to get going here. It's once again, been a fun and an exciting episode of Your Community Spirit. We will see you here next week on the radio. For another episode. <laughs> yes. Have a good one, everybody.